0: Grace and peace, love and mercy from God our Father, through Jesus Christ our risen Savior and Lord. Amen. Text for our meditation this morning, the epistle reading that we heard a moment ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, especially these words. I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, there are many in the Christian church who know the name of George Barna. George Barna. If you read the religious page in the newspaper, especially the Wall Street Journal, if you turn on one of the evening news programs, whichever flavor you like, you may have encountered George Barna. He is the most quoted Christian in the Christian church today. He grew up a Roman Catholic, he became a Baptist pastor, but for the last 35, 40 years or so, he has been a market analyst, selling market analysis to pastors and churches and church leaders. This is who he is. This is what he does. He has a great love for the church, And he sees this as a great need. So, my first encounter with George Barna came in 1988. He had just authored a book, one of over 50 books that he has written. And the name of the book was Marketing the Church. Marketing the Church. He looked around and he saw, you know, there's just something missing in the church. There's something lacking. And one of the things that is lacking is marketing. Business practices, business principles. We need to market the church to people. In fact, people were so enamored with this idea in 1988... That the Nebraska district of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod bought copies of this book for every pastor and congregational leader throughout the entire district. Pastors' conferences were devoted to how to teach us how to market the church. And literally, when you got right down to it, it really wasn't marketing the church. You know, you can't, you can't market the church like you would a hamburger or an Oldsmobile. You have to market a religious experience. And so, in order to market a religious experience, you have to create a religious experience that's what's lacking a religious experience and so we were taught to take Jesus and put him off to the side and be all about creating a religious experience in the church so that we would have something to market something that would appeal well if this sounds crazy I'm glad you feel that way this pretty much sums up the late 1980s and the early 1990s in the Christian Church in America but it's still going on it's still going on strong where churches put Jesus, put the Word of God, put the Gospel off to the side, and other things that create a religious experience are first and foremost. Truly believing, that's the only way to draw or attract people into the church. Our epistle reading for today 1 Corinthians chapter 1 teaches us much with regard to this particular approach to doing church. The Corinthians were a very, very messed up church. But there's a reason for that. Paul visited the church at Corinth, it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 18. It was a very important city. A lot of trade was going on in this city, and the city grew and grew, and the people became more wealthy as the trade increased. The people were wealthy. The people lived a lifestyle that revolved around their money, their power, their status, and their great thinking. They they were proud of the way that they could philosophize with anyone. They were rich. They were rich not only financially, but they were rich in culture. They were rich in their mind, in their philosophy. And they were rich in their bank account. Their riches were the most important thing in their lives. This was their worldview, their, their very much pagan worldview. But they were happy and they were content as long as they had their stuff. Anything that was lacking, they would find a way to go and get more. This is the area where Paul brought the gospel. The people had never heard such good news before. The forgiveness of sins, life and salvation in The son of David, who is also David's Lord. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of all God's promises. Jesus Christ, who bore their sin on Calvary's cross and rose from the dead three days later. The people in Corinth, at least some of them, Heard the gospel message. They believed the gospel message. And the Corinthian church was formed. But remember. This church in Corinth. Is right smack dab in the middle of this pagan worldview, And before long. The voices of the world. Began to creep into the church. They heard the gospel. They knew the gospel. They believed the gospel. But as the trials and tribulations of life. The same trials and tribulations that affect all Christians. As they began to press down on them. They thought maybe. Just maybe. God was holding out on them. God was not giving them what they really needed. They looked around at at the riches of their family and friends. They looked around at the riches of the community that they lived in. Money, culture, fame, fortune, great thinking. And all of a sudden, they began to believe That they were lacking in these things that God couldn't or wouldn't provide. When we get to First Corinthians, we see what a mess is the Corinthian church. As all these outside voices have talked and convinced the members of the church they've got problems. Not trusting God's Word. When they had a fight or a squabble with one another they were quick to take people to court rather than reconcile in Christian love. They looked around at the culture and, and all of the sexual perversions that were going on in the world, and they felt cheated, that God had somehow held out on them. And so the church had scandal after scandal, sex scandal after sex scandal, the likes of which are hard to talk about even with today's ear when it came to worship it was a free for all everybody did what was right in their own eyes they did what they wanted with little or no care for order and certainly little or no care for their fellow Christian when it came to the Lord's Supper it was an opportunity to get drunk When it came to the resurrection, mm, that's pretty hard to believe. We don't really need that, do we? The church was in chaos because the voices of the world were beginning to trump the Word of God. And so Paul writes this letter, this stern letter, this loving letter, To teach them and to teach us how God works. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. I didn't hold out on you. I gave you everything that I have received. The grace of God. The grace of God. God's undeserved love and favor for poor, miserable sinners like me, like you. I thank God that you received His grace, the forgiveness of sins, life everlasting. And he goes on, that in every way you are enriched in Him. My friends, when we think of being enriched, what do we think of? Do we think of the Gospel? Do we think of the forgiveness of sins? Do we think of heaven guaranteed by the life, death, and resurrection of God's Son, Jesus? When we think of riches, Don't we often fall into the Corinthian trap? Don't we think first and foremost about money? Don't we think all too often about being rich with our stuff? Don't we think about being rich in how smart or how wise or how good at our job we are? When we think of being rich, don't we think about living in a land where we are free to do and pursue, for the most part, pretty much anything we want? And when we don't get what we want, when we want it, we think God is holding out on us. We look at our lives and we compare them to the lives of others. And all of a sudden, we think something's lacking. Something's lacking in my life. I don't have enough of this. I don't have enough of that. Just like the Corinthians, we blame God. Just like the Corinthians, we think God is not powerful enough, doesn't care enough, or is some capricious God that gives some to one and none to another. We compare our lives to the pagan worldview around us and we determine that we're not rich, we're lacking and God is to blame and the only person that can do something about it is me want some examples of how this works how this plays out in our world today you know you could come up with dozens yourself the world around you says the last thing you want to do is get married early you don't want to get married young you want to go out and you want to work and you want to raise lots of money and buy a house and get all of these things secure before you think about getting married or having a family and if you know in the meantime because you know you live in the real world if a baby comes along well flush it down the toilet how could you become rich if you got married and started a family young how could you get rich if you had a baby before before you were really ready for it this is how the pagan worldview around us is and this has crept into Christian hearts and minds and churches. It goes on. Well, I made the mistake. I didn't listen to the world. I got married young. And now I'm not happy with my spouse. Other people are happy. So, what do I do? I get rid of him. I get rid of her. My friends, we see it all around us. We see it every day. Or a a newer one. You know, I don't feel personally enriched as a boy. So I think I'll be a girl. My identity doesn't, doesn't fit with, with my experience and my feeling. So I'll just change it. And if you don't support me, you're a hater. See how this game is played? My friends, the pagan worldview around us is very real it always has been and it always will be on this side of heaven god's words of admonition to the corinthian church are true and real for us god is not holding out on you He has enriched you in every way that you need to be enriched. The grace of God. The peace of God. The forgiveness of sins. God hasn't held out on you. He gave you Jesus. But in the church, instead of talking about only what's wrong, we need to do a better job of encouraging people in what's right. Marriage is a gift of God. Marriage is to be honored. Marriage has no timeline. Marriage is one man and one woman for life. And God blesses people in this marriage relationship, He grows them in this marriage relationship. This is a gift of God to be admired and honored and extolled. Not mocked and ridiculed and trashed. Life? Life is a gift of God. Life is a gift of God. Years ago, Ronald Reagan once said, Have you ever noticed that everybody who is for abortion has already been born? That's right. You are a gift. Your life is a gift. Yeah, it may not be perfect. We're sinners. We live in a sinful body. We live in a sinful world. But the grace and peace of God for you gives your life meaning, gives your life purpose. My friends, as we extol the gifts of God, whether it be vocation or marriage or life, God's Word will transform us from the inside out. We'll see that there's nothing lacking, that God is faithful. He's faithful. That means he keeps his promises. Far too often, we try to hold God to promises that he never made. Like, I want to be happy each and every day of my life. God never promised that. And we take the promises of God that he has made, like forgiveness, life, and salvation, and we go, "Eh. yeah, I know that. Move on. My friends, today, God's word for you is a word to remind you that you are rich. You have been enriched in every way by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this enrichment will not run out. There's no expiration date. Did you hear what God says? He will sustain you to the end guiltless as we continue to hear his word and receive his gifts the forgiveness of sins the grace of God the peace of God will never run out we will be sustained we will be comforted we will be encouraged in Christ Jesus in the riches that he continues to shower down upon us day after day after day my friends God will never hold out on you. In Christ, there is nothing lacking in your life. Some have more. Some have less. But everyone in Christ is perfectly enriched. May God bless us. With His gift of contentment. May God bless us with His gift of hungering for the riches that He provides. And may God teach us that for all of the times we've listened to the false voices. It's happened to all of us. For all of the times when we have clamored after things that God hasn't promised. For all of the times we have felt that God has cheated us and that the world has better riches than God for all these sins and more Jesus Christ has come for you Jesus Christ has lived for you Jesus Christ has bled and died and risen and ascended and is really present right here and right now for you why to continue to enrich you in every way thanks be to god amen now may the peace of god which far surpasses all understanding keep our hearts our minds our riches in Christ Jesus our lord amen